A great storm has been brewing in America over the past several years, and let me tell you, the clouds are getting darker. We are now witnessing an infringement on our God-given rights, the right to freedom, the pursuit of happiness, the right of life and liberty are being taken from us every single day. Under the authority of George Washington, we actually were given tools to equip us to fight what we are now experiencing under our so-called president, whom I challenge uh, to uh, to assert that he is not elected, he is also a puppet. And because of what we are seeing, the gas prices are going through the roof. We are still in many places, such as Oregon, where I live, forced to wear masks under certain circumstances or forced to participate in a vaccine program uh, with the impetus that we might actually win a lottery, thanks to our Marxist governor, Kate Brown. Well, I don't buy it. Eugenics, through a forced vaccine, forced experimentation on our bodies, doesn't sit well with me. I don't like being restricted in travel or access to buildings. I have never donned a mask, and neither shall I unless I were to perform a surgery, which I most certainly will not, since the Oregon Medical Board has asserted that they will not restore my license until Kate Brown makes the so-called emergency order go away. When do you think that's going to happen? Not in my lifetime, if she has any say about it. I'm kind of fed up with the lockdowns, and as are so many millions of Americans, I am distressed by the closing of good family businesses. I am distressed by the fact that our children have been kept at home, kept away from their friends at school in a classroom setting. The fact is they are after our guns, they are after our money, they are after our minds, and don't think that they are not after our lives. How bad is it actually going to get? It's hard to say, but the picture doesn't look pretty. Last week, I discussed a possible Second Amendment scenario. I asked, could it really happen? And uh, what are the ingredients that would foment such an uprising of our militia according to the Second Amendment? Will we ever experience a true Second Amendment scenario? Well, maybe. But if so, would you be there? Now, I know that those of you who have thought about the actual implementation of the Second Amendment struggle greatly with it. This is a very difficult question to answer for most people, even good patriots and good questions. So I ask you this morning, is God pro-Second Amendment? It's a very loaded question. It is controversial, and it is highly appealing to our emotions. What would you say? Is God pro-Second Amendment? This is Unity Without Compromise on America Out Loud Talk Radio.
Knowing God's will is absolutely imperative, and especially with regard to the Second Amendment. Everyone agrees on the First Amendment. Of course, God wants us to have free speech. Of course, God wants us to have freedom. And so nobody questions the First Amendment. That is the foundation of our free republic. But what about the Second Amendment? Is God really pro-Second Amendment? Well, let me just say straight out, yes, I believe he is. But I would have to throw in a few disclaimers. You see, the Second Amendment, unlike the First Amendment, is a great big leap into a very scary scenario. The Second Amendment is a call for violent action, hence the bearing and keeping of arms that was granted by our founding fathers of this country. But to determine if I would participate in a Second Amendment surge, I would have to ask the question, is it a just war or a just fight? Or is the Second Amendment actually a form of civil disobedience? After all, isn't it a violent act? Or is it our actual duty as a good American citizen to participate if such a calling or action would be necessary? Would you have a clear conscience raising arms, taking up arms against a rogue government? You see, many of you claim to be Christian. Many of you claim to be devout patriots who would gladly give your life for your country. And that's a good thing. But I question the sincerity of your thoughts should the situation really arise. Because for many of you, this is a highly controversial topic, no matter what your beliefs. And so today, I would actually like to help you sort that out. Let's actually explore the issue and try to answer with sound reasoning whether or not God would actually be pro-Second Amendment. I believe he would be. And here's why. First of all, what exactly does God say about war? Now, we have the Old Testament where we read about the history of the Israelites, and we see a great many wars being fought and being fought at the absolute direction of God. Sometimes God advised the Israelites to destroy some very bad people. Think about the fact that God himself is a warrior. Yes, in Exodus 15.3, we are in fact told the Lord is a warrior. And when God says to destroy some people, he sometimes said, destroy men, women, children, everything, utterly destroy them. Now, is that right or is that wrong? Can God be wrong or does God have the say in all things? Is it not our duty to abide by the Lord? Imagine if you were an Israelite. Would you 
want to flee the country because you didn't want to fight? It all depends. But God did destroy some very bad people. Remember that God himself, prior to the time of the great flood, God said that he actually regretted creating mankind because of all the evil that he saw. And thank God that Noah was there, a relatively righteous man, and God had three people uh, who were the offspring of Noah, who he decided to keep and said, I will spare you. But remember that Noah and his three sons and their wives were the only people that survived the flood. Eight people, the rest of the world was destroyed by God. Now, we do have a promise in the rainbow that God said, I will never do this again. Unfortunately, that symbol has been mocked by the LGBTQIA movement, and that disgusts me because there is nothing more beautiful than a rainbow in the sky remembering that God brought us into a covenant and told us he would never destroy us again in such a way. Look at, however, the wandering Israelites. God actually saved his people through the leadership of Moses and Aaron. He led them out of slavery in Egypt, and they complained much. They regretted their liberty feeling like they were happier in their comfort. And in fact, God was so disgusted by them that he actually made sure that within a period of 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, God actually destroyed all the people who were wandering except two. There were two soldiers who made it into the promised land, and even Moses himself did not make it. Of all the people that wandered in the wilderness, and there were millions of them, two, Joshua and Caleb were the only two that crossed into the promised land from the original nation of Israelites that departed from Egypt in the great exodus. And we must remember that in the process of that exodus, God himself also destroyed the entire Egyptian army as they pursued the Israelites at the Red Sea. Prior to that, God himself killed the firstborn of every Egyptian male, human and animal. God is a warrior. God also sometimes used war to discipline his own people in the hopes of returning them to himself. Now, this is no weakness on God's part, hoping to restore a union with his people, because God did give us a free will. But sometimes God says enough is enough. And after the rule of King David, when the 12 tribes of Israel had disbanded, 
There were 10 tribes of the north that were carried away in 722 by Assyria. And some 140 years later, the Babylonians carried away the southern two tribes. And they were never fully restored to this day. God will use war always to oppose evil, regardless of its source. So we cannot say that God is against war. That would be a lie. Likewise, in the New Testament, we are told that very thing, that war, however ugly it may be, does have a purpose. In Ecclesiastes 3, 3, we are told that there is a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up. That time to kill is a reference to war, and killing in war is not murder, but it is still war. What does God say about war? It is very clearly, abundantly evident that God did not oppose war per se. But would God be pro-Second Amendment? You don't know? Well, in Acts chapter 5, 29, we are given one very simple statement about civil disobedience, and it applies to the Second Amendment and to our everyday living. Peter reminded those Roman leaders who challenged him that we ought to obey God rather than men. And when it comes to civil disobedience, that is the key statement. That is the test of whether or not we comply with a rogue government or we decide to do things God's way to obey God instead of obeying the evils of a rogue empire. The great author Henry David Thoreau once claimed that citizens have an obligation to disobey the rule of law when that law is unjust. Now, Thoreau was not a professing Christian. He was considered by some to be a pantheist and perhaps a transcendentalist. Whatever he was, he did believe in a maker, in a creator, but he saw God in a different way, despite the fact that he did know the Bible. But civil disobedience requires, demands that we have a righteous standard and not just a heartfelt conviction. We have to have a standard to decide what is right or wrong, and we can only rightly choose to disobey the civil authorities if we know that standard. However, I cannot help but agree with Thoreau that we do have an obligation to disobey the rule of law when the law is unjust, when the law is evil. You see, truth is truth no matter who says it, and his views 
on civil disobedience generally do align with scripture. It is necessary to act when we are commanded to do so by God, including to act against a government. But we have another tool given to us by God to help us determine whether or not we ought to participate. That tool is called a conscience. A conscience can be a number of different things. People sometimes say that they sleep well because they have a clear conscience. A clear conscience means simply that you are true to your convictions, that you do not have a conflict about doing what is right and that you have chosen to do the right thing. However, a conscience can actually be misguided. We can suffer from a weak conscience. We are told that in the scriptures in many places. 1 Corinthians 14 talks about the weak conscience also. We might think that we are right. We might put our own limitations on ourselves with fully good intent, not even being aware that we actually have a weak conscience because we do not know the standard. And finally, such as what we are seeing right now, we have many people with a completely seared conscience, such a seared conscience that they can no longer discern what is good or what is evil. When this happens, that person becomes dangerous, especially if they are leaders of the land. But conscience should be respected because conscience is about having convictions. And a conviction is a good thing if it is just. What about you? Do you have a clear conscience if you were called to join a militia to fight against your rogue government? Would you actually participate? Would your conscience allow you to do so? Many of you say, I am a Christian. I simply could not take up arms. I simply could not kill. I simply could not participate in the military. You know, when we talk about the Second Amendment, many people think we are talking about a right to self-defense, to personal self-defense. Keep in mind that the Second Amendment has nothing to do with personal self-defense. The Second Amendment was granted to us by our nation's founding fathers as an actual act of government, not a personal act, but an act of government. And if you want to know whether or not we should participate as Christians in a Second Amendment scenario, then you have to go to the New Testament and you have to read a definitive passage on what God says about government and about leaders. And that would be in Romans 13, verses 1 through 7. This is such a powerful passage that I really do feel committed to read it fully to you. Because if you understand what the standard of God is regarding government, then you can act in a clear conscience 
to do the right thing, to make the right choice. Romans 13 says, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Now, that is a general statement. Do you think that Obama was appointed by God? That's a tough question, isn't it? What about Joe Biden? Sleepy Joe Biden, was he appointed by God? Do you know that if we were to be totally honest, we cannot answer that question? Some of you would say, no, absolutely not. Joe Biden is a looney tune. Joe Biden is only half present in the cognitive sense. Joe Biden is the puppet of whom? Of Obama? Of the far left radicals in government? Who is really running our country right now? I assure you, it is not Joe Biden. But we are told to be subject to the governing authorities. Now think about that. Verse 2 in chapter 13 of Romans says, Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Now that is the verse that makes a lot of people stop in their tracks and say, no, right or wrong, I could not participate in a Second Amendment surge because I cannot resist the government. Verse three, for rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Now think about that. You see, a government ordained by God is a government for good, not for evil. This is the first disclaimer. Going on in verse 3, do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good and you will have praise from the same. Can you imagine our government praising us for doing what is good, for standing up, for attending Christian worship, for helping the poor, for feeding the poor, for contributing to good causes, for protecting our children? for giving them an education, for protecting the unborn? Would your government say those things are good right now? I don't think so. You see, God's kind of government is expressed in verse 4. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. If you want to know whether or not God is for or against capital punishment, there is your verse, Romans 13, verse 4. For the government does not bear the sword in vain. Now, in the time that this was written in the Roman Empire, the bearing of the sword was simply for execution. God help you, although he wouldn't, if you choose to do evil and face the wrath of a just government. Romans 13.5, Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of you, because of this, you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. 
Now, that is very interesting because we are told right there that taxes are not an evil thing if used for the right purpose because taxes are supposed to be for your good. There are there are needs that must be fulfilled. And in a land such as the United States of America, unless we are taxed, how will the roads be kept up? How will all the infrastructure, the breaking down infrastructure in America be restored? This is what our President Trump was talking about a short time ago. It was a good plan. It was a righteous plan. But when your government is evil, that's a completely different story. What exactly is our responsibility to government? Well, Romans 13, verse 7, render therefore to all their due taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. In other words, as Jesus said when he was set up by the Pharisees, he stated, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Now there's our answer right there. There is no doubt whatsoever that every Christian ought to be an outstanding citizen. We ought to obey all lawful orders. But it's getting hard. It's getting very hard. We are so overregulated that we are now living in a time when it is near impossible to obey the law. But what about unlawful orders? What about masking? What about the so-called vaccines that are experimentations on human bodies? And when those are being forced upon you, do you have a choice to obey or not? What about churches being closed down and being told that we cannot attend church fellowship? Is that a lawful order, or ought we to obey God rather than man? If an unlawful government order strips us of our freedom, then do we have a right to subdue that government? In other words, is God pro-Second Amendment? Yes, I believe he is, but that is not at all the end of the story. This is Dr. Steve LaTulip on Unity Without Compromise with America Out Loud Talk Radio. I'd like to take a short break and come back to that question, is God pro-Second Amendment? Don't go away. Because of COVID-19, the average American worries about their immune health four times a day. 
That's 112 times per year. To minimize the worries, leading nutritional supplement company, Healthy Cell, created Immune Super Boost, an immune supplement that contains 15 full doses of science-backed nutrients like vitamin C, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea, all in a one-a-day pill-free gel pack. It tastes great, is convenient on the go, and it's more natural too, without chemical binders, fillers, and coatings. Supporting a strong and resilient immune system can be simple. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of Immune Super Boost. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, -E -L -L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. AmericaOutloud.com is the alternative from the agenda-driven globalist. Here, we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. On-demand podcast or real-time talk radio with our streaming apps on Apple, Android, or Alexa. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. This is Dr. Steve LaTulip on America Outlaw Talk Radio for the show Unity Without Compromise. Today, I am discussing a very controversial topic by asking a simple but controversial question. Is God pro-Second Amendment? Some of you feel that he would not be pro-Second Amendment because we are told to obey the government, which is an instrument of God's will. But remember, Romans 13 is talking about a righteous government, a good government, and we are told in no uncertain terms that when that government goes bad, we ought to obey God rather than man. But if you still think that God is not pro-Second Amendment, then why not? What reasons can you cite? What would you say against God being pro-Second Amendment? Well, perhaps we should just look at the Second Amendment before we decide fully so that we might have a clear conscience and a good conscience that is well-guided. What is the Second Amendment? What does it say? Well, the Second Amendment is a well-regulated militia. It's not a band of thieves seeking their own will. It is well-regulated, it is organized, and it is a militia, which means that a militia would be acting as the arm of God in the form of a military for the same purpose that we have government, to protect the innocent and to punish the wicked. And sometimes the wicked are the leaders of a land. Look at Iran, look at China, look at Russia. What is the Second Amendment? It is a well-regulated militia. It also is an insurance policy. I am reading from it, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security 
of a free state, yes, the Second Amendment truly is an insurance policy, a guarantee that if all goes to hell with our country and with our government, we have a way of securing our freedom and guaranteeing that we are the land of the free. The Second Amendment is also a right, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms. The keeping of arms means that you can own a weapon. It doesn't say that you can own a weapon for the purpose of hunting or for self-preservation, but it doesn't say you can't. That is not the issue. Personal safety and protection, self-preservation is not the issue of the Second Amendment, not on a personal level. It is a militia. But the Second Amendment absolutely is the right of the people to keep and bear arms. And to bear arms means that you can carry a weapon on your person. That right is a law because we are told that it, quote, shall not be infringed. And therefore, your government has issued a law that shall not be infringed. Finally, the Second Amendment is a gift from our nation's founding fathers, and we must never forget that those founding fathers were inspired by the words of Scripture, by the very words of God. If you cannot acknowledge that the Second Amendment is these things, then you might never come to the conclusion that God is pro-Second Amendment. But it if God told us to obey the government, and if our founding fathers instituted a righteous government, and I fully believe they did, then part of our obligation to obey the government includes an obedience to a Second Amendment surge, if such a thing were called. But let's face the facts. There are not many fighters who are willing to defy authority for any reason, even for a very good reason, like the preservation of our freedom. On the other hand, there are always a few, and maybe more than a few, who would be very willing to give everything that they have. And we remember those people on the day that... We honor them Memorial Day, which has just passed. There are not many fighters who are willing to defy authority for any reason. But if liberty is at stake, if you were to be imprisoned, if you were to be subject to a communist rule, is that reason enough? We must always remember that civil disobedience is not optional if we are to maintain our God-given rights. And we must also remember that defiance against tyrants 
is always obedience to God, particularly on a government level. Every elected official in America is obligated to submit to the will of the people and to support the Constitution of the United States of America, which ultimately is submission to God. We now have a so-called Democrat Party that wishes to destroy our Constitution that selectively and repeatedly and fully ignores the Constitution so that they might rule over your lives and your soul. If that doesn't bother you, then I would have to question whether or not you have a soul. You see, the human spirit is designed to live free, free from tyranny, and yes, ultimately free from sin. That is to what we aspire. I recall the words of the men of Marlboro, Massachusetts, when they once asserted, going way back in 1773, that was the year of the Boston Tea Party, only earlier in the year before the actual Boston Tea Party. And I quote them, a freeborn people are not required by the religion of Jesus Christ to submit to tyranny, but make use of such power as God has given them to recover and support their laws and liberties. America is free because America is law-abiding. It is a natural consequence of obeying the laws of God that we enjoy life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But we are living in precarious times. The American people, the majority of the American people, now seem much more willing to have comfort over liberty. Now that fact scares me like nothing else. Dennis Prager on a recent show made a very bold and distinct point when he said people would rather be taken care of than be free. Would you rather be taken care of than be free? It begs a second question to be asked. Do you think that any government that is willing to take your freedom would really take care of you? No way. It's a scary thought. When people figure out that they are not being taken care of, what then? Would they resist? Would they fight? Would they even think about the Second Amendment? I don't know about you, but I am not an advocate of slavery. I would have fought the Civil War to end slavery in the same way that I would and have fought for my country to preserve freedom. And it has nothing to do with color. It has everything to do with being an American, a true American. 
when people finally figure out that we are not being taken care of, will they resist? I bring this subject up because many of you simply haven't really thought about it. Others of you simply have always assumed that the Second Amendment is a radical movement, which perhaps it is, but radical means getting to the root of things. It is not rebellion for rebellion's sake. The Second Amendment is a gift from our founding fathers that was given to us as perhaps a last-ditch effort to save the free republic. Would you fight? Would you participate? Before I did this show, I discussed this topic of whether or not God is pro-Second Amendment with one of my daughters, and she said, Dad, aren't you afraid about talking about this? What if the FBI comes to your house and searches you and throws you in prison or in jail for doing this, for talking about it? And I said, do you hear what you're saying? I am talking about our government. I am talking about our constitution and our rights as an American citizen. Since when has that become a criminal act? It is not, and it is something we should talk about, because if we don't contemplate the options, then the options become unavailable to us. We are living in a time when the storm clouds are brewing and getting very dark, and before long, they are going to burst wide open. There is absolutely no doubt in my mind about this fact. Our constitutional republic, as I speak, is now actually receiving life threats. Remember, if they take your gun, if they take our weapons, America is done. The ownership of weapons, the keeping and bearing of arms is distinctly an American trait upon which America was founded. If you deny that fact, you are simply not a true American. I'm sorry, you are not a true American if you do not contend for the right to keep and bear arms. Last week, I discussed the many, many obstacles associated with actually instituting a Second Amendment action. It seems like it would be sometimes somehow nearly impossible. The Second Amendment declares that we should have a well-regulated militia. Do we have a well-regulated militia? Do you know the facts about this? Well, we do now have an organized militia in only 23 states and territories, and I believe there are 28 states in the 50 United States that have no militia whatsoever. More obstacles. The militia in each of these states consists of a very small number of soldiers. They are grossly under-supported, under-funded, under-resourced, and under-trained. How would such a militia take on a rogue government in the 21st century? 
it would be very difficult. There are other obstacles to an organized militia. Yes, even an organized militia, which actually is considered to be a subsidiary of each state's National Guard. Many people confuse a private militia associated with radical organizations such as BLM and Antifa with an organized militia to defend the government. A militia can do many good things in reality. They uh, are often present to help in state crises, in natural disasters. But the purpose of a militia was to defend our constitution. And only 23 states and territories presently have any semblance of a militia. Oh, yes, there's one other huge problem associated with militias. Who do you think rules the militia? The governor of the state. As I said, I live in Oregon. I live under the tyrannical rule of Governor Kate Brown. What do you think Kate Brown would do with the militia? No, when I think about whether or not God is pro-Second Amendment, although I have no doubts whatsoever that God is for the Second Amendment, I think that if we were to have a militia under the jurisdiction of rogue governors, then we, we intuitively have a problem that has to be overcome. And I fully believe that God could overcome any such problem should the need arise, no doubt in my mind. But God uses people, and God never robs us of our free will. And... The logistics, when you think about it, when you come full circle about whether or not God is pro-Second Amendment and whether or not we could successfully initiate a Second Amendment action, we have to consider one thing. Would we ever in any chance have a possibility of a victory? I believe we would, and the reason is not because necessarily of having a well-organized and well-regulated militia. I think it simply comes from the fact that the American citizen is armed. I came full circle on this. The more I looked at it, the more discouraged I became. But then I came full circle and realized that the bearing of arms and the keeping of arms by the private American citizen is a whole bunch of potential for a militia. So could it happen? Yes. Is God pro-Second Amendment? Yes. But we have to conclude one other thing, that even though God would be pro-Second Amendment, he does offer us a much, much better alternative, a much more effective avenue for maintaining peace. And if you haven't thought about that, this is the whole motive impetus for my 
radio show, we have to get back to our roots. You see, the most striking necessity in the quelling of evil is religion, namely Christianity. In a very real sense, as Leo, Leo Tolstoy once wrote, religion is the common sense of humanity. Without a religion, which is a standard for mankind, then there is no hope of peace and prosperity. Think of every country that exists in the world today. Apart from a Christian standard, what prevails in every country that exists under the rule of a tyrant in the absence of religion? Tolstoy was right. Religion is the common sense of humanity, but common sense is a gift from God. And so we need to realize that whenever we reject the ways of God, we actually choose the ways of Satan. And in this, we have no choice. We must choose one or the other. So if religion fails in America, as it seems to be faltering now, then the only other option is war. Will we ever go to a Second Amendment scenario? Oh, yes, it is most definitely a possibility. But the better way would be simply what God gave us, and that is the Great Commission, given in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. You see, if we were making disciples and obeying that very simple command, then Christianity would spread across the land. We have failed as a church to make disciples. Oh, we've made a lot of things. We've made a lot of social clubs. We've made a lot of man-made religion that distorts the scriptures immensely. And we are proud of it, and we boast of it, and we speak of the health and wealth gospel and all the great things that God can do for you if you simply do this, this, and that, and give me this money. But we have failed to make disciples based on the truth of God's word. And if Christianity fails, then we have no other recourse than war, simply because of the nature of man. And then if war fails, ultimately, we succumb to the ravages of our enemy. And we are getting a good dosing of that right now. If you don't see the writing on the wall now, you probably never will. See, Christianity is the best choice. And that will always be the best choice. And this is why we must return to our roots, to the Bible. Am I trying to recruit you to be a Christian? Oh, most definitely I am. Christianity is a way that leads to everything good, everything healthy, everything sound. 
It leads to common sense. It leads to an understanding of the way things are and the way things ought to be. Am I trying to recruit you? Absolutely. Following the teachings of the Bible will make you a better person in every way. You will be of better character. You will have better discernment. You will be more loyal to your family. And the family is the building block of the nation. Destroy the family and you will tear down a nation. Christianity and the teachings of scripture are the only way that America will survive the current onslaught. So if you love peace and you want to avoid a very bloody battle, avoid a civil war or a war against our government, better to make disciples. It is the only way also to eternal life. John 10.10 says the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I have come that they may have life and may have it more abundantly. And in John 14.6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Those are some very serious words, and those are the words that can keep us out of a Second Amendment scenario. Would you please reconsider the fact that perhaps our founding fathers were right, that we simply cannot ignore the words of our creator, the guiding of a Holy Spirit who teaches us what is good through the words of scripture. Is God really pro-Second Amendment? Yes, I believe he is. Why? Because God is the author of liberty. He is the author of justice. God is the giver of every good gift. And what greater gift can we have on this earth than freedom? And when we have freedom in the land, then we have freedom to make disciples and to spread the standard that made America truly great. You are no enemy of God, you who would defend such good things. Keep that in mind. We must always fight for the cause that made America great. Well, I hope you will at least think about not only a Second Amendment scenario, but the teachings of Scripture that tell us that God is very much pro-Second Amendment, but God is very much pro-goodness and righteousness and justice and equality for all. God is pro-America, or he was pro-America because America was a good nation. This is Unity Without Compromise with Dr. Steve LaTulip on America Out Loud Talk Radio. Next week, I would like to discuss the military tactics of resistance training, something I was taught in POW training, to foible the enemy. In the meantime, please 
Be strong, be courageous, and strive to live with integrity. And whatever you do, always remember your life is a gift to God, a gift back to God for the life he has given you. Make it a good one. Thanks for joining me today. Until next week, adieu.